lots and lots of spoilers. Glutifisk, Glutifisk, let's fa, let's fa, hooray for the beavers, yeah, sure you betcha. <laughs> Max Mike's movies is heading up north, up where yeah. summer is a word spoken only in jest, where a nice day is one where you leave your parka open, and where everyone is nice and emotions for other people. <laughs> <laughs> As the last entry in our series, Ancient History, the 90s, Fargo makes a deep impression in the snows of our hearts. But who the heck darn are we anyway? Well, that there is my buddy that'll never be shoved in the wood chipper, Minnesota Max Levine. Oh, yeah. Me, I'm the funny looking guy, Mr. Go Bears himself, <laughs> Mike Luce. Or is it uh, Go Griffins, I guess, in our case? Uh, yeah, yeah. Either way, here we are, and there you are, doing that thing you do. What do we do? We tell you about movies. But first, here's another tequila commercial. I mean, wait, mm. more about our show. Hi, do you enjoy drinking? <laughs> Sure, we all do. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sure, we all do. Much yeah, better. That's a, that's a deeper. Oh, yeah, that's a deeper, eh? That's a um, deeper. Oh, yeah. Uh, now we get a word for that. We can just call it a deeper. So, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, whenever yeah, Max and I, like, we good. reference real far over your heads, they eh, will just call that a deeper. Yeah, that's real good. And we're going to stop that. No, we're not. We're going to do this every once in a while. Probably not. It's we going to come up a lot. <laughs> so, hey, we have got a website. You, After 111 episodes, you probably didn't know that, but we have a <laughs> website. And on it are super munchy, crunchy, extra, super delicious, mega awesome episodes like this one. Uh, all of them, all free today. Uh, you can go to maxmikemovies.com, see all our episodes, which are grouped handily into their series. You can see the specials, you can see episodes on movies you like, you can see movies you don't like, you can avoid movies and listen to us instead. You can comment, maxmikemovies.com. If you would like to send us email to give us comments instead of going through the website, you can do so at us at maxmikemovies.com. Hey, listeners, you must love those podcast apps, because who doesn't? Podcast apps, find us on your podcast app, as long as it's Google, Apple, or Spotify. Hey, social hey. distancing. No, 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 no. Uh, social media. Hey, social media. Find us on the social media. You can tweet. You can feeb. Either place. Max Mike Movies. And if you use one of those podcast apps, you could do us a little favor. We like ratings. Good ones, anyway. <clears throat> but yeah, apparently the way to get listeners, or so I'm told, is by having good ratings on them. Their podcast apps. Hey, you know them things those kids are doing? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if you could give us like the five stars, that'd be great. Um, you know, but you know, don't go out of your way or nothing. No, no, don't don't make a problem for us. No, know? no, no, no. Uh, so if you got a friend, make him have him come with. Oh yeah, you know, because like they might listen, like to listen too. Because yeah, oh yeah, sometimes friends in movies, eh? So, uh, yeah, give us a rating. Might give us some listeners because Max and I do this for free. Yeah, so you don't have to. This week, Fargo. I don't think I can say it other ways. Just Fargo. <laughs> Fargo. Fargo, which is a movie. And the last movie in ancient history of the 90s. Done by 1996. The, yes. Done by the Cohen brothers. Cohen. 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 Who Although are actually, I think it's usually pronounced Cohen, apparently. Well, they're from Minneapolis. Me, which, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Then the N and the E should be transposed. Oh, Cohen. I can see it. If you say it like in that accent, now it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, you know, their name's Cohen. Cohen. I bet there's some trivia to be had. The show. You know, you know, Paul. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a deeper. You're a fresh kick, Dave. Oh, that's a deeper. All right. So budget, $7 million, which I think they got a lot for their money. Quite Yeah, honestly, seriously. Which is good because their take was 60 <laughs> Whoa! So, nice for a drama or comedy, because sometimes it's actually yeah. referred to as a comedy. Uh, we'll get into that. Uh, that's yeah. pretty good. That's oh, that's pretty good. You know, that's not baddie. Yeah. So yeah, pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, although they swear to it in the opening credits, this movie is not ba based on a true story <laughs> at yeah. all. At all. Uh, the two points which some people were like, well, we we kind of based it on this. Apparently, there was, in 1962, a guy who supposedly arranged to have his wife kidnapped. Um, I don't 
think the rest of it worked out the same way. Um, I don't think multiple homicides were involved. No, no. Uh, and apparently in Connecticut, and I think 1973, uh, somebody did put their victim into a wood chipper. Um, but that Ew. was in Connecticut. And so, yeah, eventually like they... Well, they get that's kink- Connecticut. What can you expect? <laughs> it's a thing they do, I suppose. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that, thank you. It's the, the state bird is the wood chipper. Uh <laughs> Max, or is it the wood? Oh wait, is that the woodpecker? I don't know. I always get those two mixed up. Yeah, I think we just lost all of Connecticut, like um, we had them before. Uh in the palm of our hands. Uh-huh. But yeah, so this was. It says, "True story." Change the names, all that thing, and it's a lie. So there you go. Um, they didn't bring the usual acting coaches onto the set for this. Um, one of the main. Uh, I, focuses or the main um, uses for the actors on learning to get that accent was a book called How to Talk Minnesotan. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember that book. Also, some of the actors, uh, in, in this case, the uh, the very nice um, whores, uh, night ladies of the <laughs> evening, they're like the nicest whores you're going to meet. Uh, they're so per- upbeat and cheerful. Oh, he's kind of funny looking. <laughs> um, they actually were from the area, and so they would do some of the... Uh, the coaching. William, William H. Macy sort of pulled a Sean Young for this part of uh, Jenny, Jerry Lundegaard. While he didn't dress up in a cat suit, he <laughs> did overemphasize that he was the only one for the part, going so far as to fly to New York to track down the Coens when he didn't hear right back from them, supposedly not only reemphasizing that he was the only one for the part, but jokingly threatening to shoot their dogs if they didn't ah! yeah so okay. oh yeah 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 shouldn't uh, do that that's not nice that's no shouldn't do that uh that's the, not, yeah. the coens who are from minneapolis describe minnesota as siberia with family restaurants <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah um i'm um, speaking of siberia um even though minnesota is known for its cold temperatures and snow the year they shot this, 1995, was a near-record warm winter, so this yeah. meant that they had to go a lot of location hunting and make a lot of fake snow, which I did not know. There's one scene where it's like, they're talking about how cold it is, and it's like, isn't that water on the ground? But mm. otherwise, a lot of the snow in this film is actually fake. <laughs> yeah, that is, but that's an actual uh, phenomenon in, in Minnesota. You can get these sudden warm spots right, after, right in the middle yeah. of a, a terrible cold snap, Things melt and then they freeze into unbelievably lethal ice. Yeah, apparently Minnesotans was, are like Eskimos. They have like sixty different words for ice, ice or sixty ice, different terms. Ice. No, no, oh, there's, no, no, no. There, no. There's crack ice, flash ice, black ice, glare ice. There's a whole bunch of kinds of ice. Plow ice, pack ice, oh, ice yeah. gumbo. <laughs> yeah, yep, I, fried ice, ice with rice. Very ice with nice. rice is nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> This was named the best film of 1996 by Siskel and Ebert. Wow. Apparently during the film, uh, Ebert leaned over to Siskel and said, this is the reason that we go to the movies. So they really liked this film. One scene, one scene in this film actually takes place in Fargo. Yeah, but only the re- one. The reason the movie is called Fargo is because the Coens thought it sounded as a better title than Brainerd. And they're probably right. <laughs> they they almost certainly were. Which scene takes place in Fargo? The uh, we'll get to this, but the very opening where they actually come oh, up that's with what the, I thought. the job. Yeah, that, yeah. that that bar. And the thing is, that bar is actually in North Minneapolis. So there you go. But it's supposed to be Fargo. So, uh, hey, one of the the people's favorite characters, the wood chipper, <laughs> is now on display at the Fargo Moorhead Visitor Center. Bring the kids. <laughs> oh. <laughs> We'll have Chipper the Clown and lots yeah, of free Do they have like mannequins you get for a buck, you get to feed it into the chipper? I don't know, but like, mm. why that? Yeah. Um, Frances McDormand accidentally left her fat suit in her trailer overnight, which was not heated. In the Ooh. morning, on set, one of her fake breasts exploded. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. Oh, you know, that'll happen, because, you know, you got to be careful about those things because they don't oh, do sure. the cold to real, real well. Oh, no. Oh, not good at all. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to get the pronunciation of this wrong because I, I honestly don't know how you would get it right. Kristen Rudrud, who played Jean, was actually born in Fargo. So there you go. Uh, 
little nepotism here. Nepotism. I'm looking right yeah. at you, Joel Cohen. He um, was married to Frances McDermott at the time. They oh. got married in <laughs> 1984. Only reason she got the part. Yeah. And, and uh, she actually, they've been married ever since, which is actually very nice, because Hollywood, that doesn't usually happen. Um, Francis even admits it and has been quoted as saying, the fact that I'm sleeping with the director might have something to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. She has a sense of humor about it. Yeah. Actually, the more I read about her, it's like, I like her. I want to know her. She seems really cool. Um. Yeah, uh, that Paul Bunyan statue at the edge of Brainerd. Edge of Brainerd. No. no, no, it is not. I was very offended by that. That is in Bemidji. Damn it! Actually, that's not even the statue. They made that for the movie, and for some reason, it is now hi- hidden in the woods of Wisconsin. Huh. I don't know why. Yeah. Weird. Um, as Max Max point out, uh, the, there's one scene in Fargo. Uh, none of the film was actually shot in Fargo. None of it. Yeah. The Coens edited the film themselves, but credited it to a fake person who was then nominated for an Oscar. I one think of they the, won. They did not for that. Oh, one not of for the editing? Se- not for editing. Uh, it was one of seven nominations this movie was up for. The only two it won were for Frances McDormand, who won Best uh, Actress, and the Coens won together for Best Screenplay. Okay, so nepotism sometimes works. Yeah, and fake people. <laughs> <laughs> like, I wonder if they were embarrassed. It's like, oh, crap. I forget the, the name they came up. It's like, oh, crap. Eh? You know, Rick got nominated. There is no Rick. <laughs> uh, what, yeah. do we, what do we do if he wins? Yeah. Well, well they, they actually, what they said was they wanted to hire somebody to come up and take the place. The Academy was not thrilled about that, but they didn't win anyway. So, yeah. yeah. So while there is a TV series, Fargo, it has none of the same characters as the movie, but is supposedly in the quote-unquote same universe, which that's just ours, the right? Fargo-verse. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. the greater Fargo-verse. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I love it when Spike shows up. Uh, oh, <laughs> that's a deeper. Um, the one main connecting piece is that the TV show reveals what happens to the buried money. Oh, I wondered yes. about that. Yeah, so a lot of people did. Unfortunately, a lot of people went for the, oh, it's a true story. The money must still be out there. Oh, dear. Never putting together the fact that somebody... Somebody got his fields dug up. Okay. Yeah, never putting together the fact that somebody filmed it. So, whatever. I don't know. But, yeah, they... Even though at the end of the film it says none of these people living or dead are real, fictional, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Yeah, apparently people went out there with shovels looking for it. Um, But, whatever. Marge, the police chief only fires her gun twice in the entire film. It's both times at the same person, and yep. it's at the end of the movie. <laughs> yep. That, that's it. That's only all the only time she shoots. Now, Max, I know you know some trivia about the area, and we're going to get to that later, but do you know any trivia specifically about the film that you wanted to throw in? Well, I was curious, watching the credits, toward the end, th- there's one thing... <laughs> How do you describe it? The, there is a character who is identified as victim in the field, which uh, I think is like one of the first people killed. Yes. He isn't given a name. It's shown he's got a glyph where yes. the actor's name should be that looks a lot like the one for Prince. And that's why they did that. He was actually a story, storyboard artist. And in later oh. releases on DVD and stuff, they put his name in there. Oh, but okay. that was, in fact, a, a nod towards the purple one. Uh, his Royal Badness, who is, of course, a native of Minnesota. Somehow. Has a, had a house in uh, Lake Minnetonka, opened up his uh, club, First Avenue. Yeah. Basically created the music, the modern music scene in Minneapolis. And then it promptly left. <laughs> well, no, I think it hung on pretty well. Uh, I mean, it's no grunge look, but there you go. <laughs> All right, so the plot, for the those plot. of you who haven't seen it. Jerry Lundegaard, played by William H. Macy, I can't do this, uh, is a car salesman in Minneapolis. Living under the heavy, watchful eye of his father-in-law, who owns the dealership and a good deal more, Jerry feels lost and ineffectual, which is true. To this end, he decides to hire two men to kidnap his wife. When the ransom is paid, he'll split it with them and no one will be the wiser. Things do not go as planned. Various Mm. schemes we see Jerry involved with come unraveled, including some embezzling he's trying to do through the family firm. The car he stole off the lot to give to the kidnappers gets identified. The kidnappers, somewhat incompetent and horribly violent, kill three people in their escape. And his father-in-law shoves Jerry out of the way of a big real estate deal Jerry has put together and from being the one that would deliver the ransom from the kidnappers. What Jerry hasn't told the kidnappers is that the ransom has not been reported as 80000 bucks as he told them, but a million dollars with Jerry taking the lion's share. 
All through this, slow and methodical, comes Marge Gunderson, chief of police in Brainerd, Minnesota, where the body, first bodies are found. Through careful, thoughtful consideration, seven months pregnant never falters from the trail, eventually tra tracking down the kidnappers on her own. Marge Gunderson finds one of them shoving his buddy into the wood chipper. <laughs> in the end, most of the money buried under the snow at the side of the road is lost. The wife has been killed. Jerry is caught, and Marge's husband gets his painting chosen for a three-cent stamp at the end. <clears throat> oh, and the father-in-law is killed. Yes. A lot of killed here. They're, oh, yeah, you know, because that's real, real bad. That's real oh, bad. Oh, yeah, real, yeah, real yeah. bad, real bad. That's a, just a darn crying shame. Yeah. The lowdown. So, hey, uh, first of all, I, I do have to point out, I lived in Minnesota for over 10 years. Yep. So this this is my country, for all. and I got to tell you that is where I saw Fargo. That's mm -hmm. where I saw this movie the first time. I saw it the year it came out. I saw it in ninety six. Please tell the story of the audience uh, reaction. Oh Lord! First off, I when I saw it, I loved it, but it was so odd. Half the audience, literally, I I didn't count exactly, but it looked to me like half the audience was dying, just <laughs> cracking up at the jokes, and that there are a lot of little. Uh, inside jokes or local humor that other people aren't going to get and they're falling out of their seats and half the audience is sitting there with their arms folded stone-faced and you could just hear them every so often murmuring i don't see what's so funny <laughs> just the classic minnesota look but only half of them the other people loved it i'm guessing they were all out of towners <laughs> Yeah, that's unfair. Oh, they're a probably lot of from St. Paul, eh? Because they're all a weird A lot of Minnesotans there. do have a, a real sense of humor about themselves. That How to Talk Minnesota book, they did that as a PBS special on the local <laughs> PBS station. And it is hilarious. They talk about... You know, the, the Minnesota, the when you're driving the one-finger or two-finger salute on the steering wheel, if you pass, two cars pass each other on one of the many lonely roads, you're supposed to raise... If you don't recognize the person, you raise one finger. You still hold onto the steering wheel, but lift one finger like a little wave. If you know the person, you lift two fingers. <laughs> that was the rule. Well, that's a good one. Oh, sure. <laughs> I got to say that opening shot where it's whiteout conditions and there's snow everywhere. My first thought, my first note was, ah, spring in Minnesota. <laughs> Mine was, oh, July in Minneapolis, but same yeah. thing. Yeah. It's that you get snow for a long time, or at least you did before what may or may not be it. Oh, hell, before climate change. Yeah. Even as I was there, it the winters got milder and milder. Yeah. First one time I was there, my hair froze. <laughs> Literally, I went out very quickly without a hat. I was outside for about two minutes. I brushed this lock of hair off my forehead. It snapped off. <laughs> it had frozen solid. Yeah, 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 yeah. You freaked, know that'll happen. So freaked me out. Uh, I Max was also uh, the first person who told me that car heaters were a thing, and I don't mean the one in the car to make no, you no, warm. No, block heaters. Yeah. Block heaters. They electric heaters attached to the engine block, which you plug in overnight because otherwise your engine will freeze and crack. Yep. It's the oil, the, I think. Ugh. The oil and the other fluids in there literally freeze, and of course, uh, any though any water will expand. Yeah, and that's, that is also done. the first time I encounter the the phenomenon of trees exploding. <laughs> it is now it, not the whole tree, but I had a a tree on my front lawn in the middle of the night. I hear bang, this loud report, and I'm you know I'm from the northeast. I'm from this uh, a not not a heavy urban area, but. My first thought was, I'm on the floor because I think someone's shooting. <laughs> it sounded like a gunshot. Yeah. yeah and uh, yeah. I go out in the morning, and this branch that's thicker than my leg is lying there on the on the snow with the end burst open. Because what happens is when the temperature drops really suddenly, the sap freezes and expands so quicker than the wood can flex, and it explodes. And apparently, uh, this can happen to entire tree trunks. I've never seen that, but I saw a branch explode. 
That that'll happen, you know. That that oh, that'll yeah. happen. So it's uh, pretty ding dang cold there in the winter. Oh, yeah, that's all real, I'm saying. Real ding dang cold. Oh, yeah. that stuff up my nose just freeze right up. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> let's get back to the movie because of course Max's, oh, yeah, right. Max's trials in, in Minneapolis are both amusing but also uh, many length lengthy. Yeah. So my first note was actually about who made the movie Polygram. I certainly yeah, I know them a, from I thought it. there was a record label. Me too. I don't. I didn't do any research on this, but it's like I don't think I can ever remember another film made by Polygram. I don't remember seeing that on a screen. Nope. But uh, let's talk about this cast. Oh wow! So what, did, has William H Macy? Was he born looking middle aged? Uh, maybe. I don't know. My God, he so lined and leathery, and what was he? 20 but that smile he's got this gopher faced smile that works it's like i couldn't think of anybody else to play a used car or not even used oh. but a new car salesman that would be better so i have to agree with him even though if he, i don't see him in a cat suit going ah tim tim <laughs> oh that's a deeper um yeah. but apparently he was rabid about this part and you know oh, he nails it he, I, I was surprised he didn't win for this one because he just inhabits it completely he does. And so he's great. And the thing I, about Jerry is he's not, he's definitely not our protagonist. We don't like him, but we understand him. Yeah. The thing about Jerry is we, A, never find out why he needs the money from uh, the ransom, right? Because he's trying to get the money for the land deal from his father-in-law, who screws him out of it. Although, to be fair, if you look at it as at a business standpoint, the father-in-law is totally right. It's like, well, why yeah. should I lend you the money to make a huge pile of money when I can just do it without you? So I'll yeah, give well, you a also, fee. That's, that's one of the most painful things about Jerry is watching the utter contempt his father-in-law, Wade, has for him. Yeah. I mean, it's not simply that he's that Wade is like, ha-ha, I'm an evil businessman. It's like, I think he'll screw it up, and I know I'll lose money if I give it to you. Because well, I think you're a screw up. Even in practice, he said he says that when about the ransom. He says no, no offense there, no offense there, Jerry, but I don't want you to screw this up. Yeah, and there's been lots of indications that Jerry has screwed things up before. He probably only has his job because the wife, which is the obviously his father-in-law's daughter, duh, Wade's <laughs> daughter, has said oh you know you should you should give him a promotion you should yeah, give him a promotion he worked for his father-in-law yeah, yeah and he was the executive set i think we do get some hints of why he needs the money those phone calls to the guy who paid, paid him three hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars for a bunch of for what clearly were cars he was either wasn't given but he doesn't have the serial numbers for them something like that well he's I think he's in funds. He's, i think he's like pretending that he bought cars yeah. with it and he just has it yeah. but we don't know like besides that, that 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 accounts for maybe a third of this million dollars he wants. But it's like he's try, is he trying to leave and take money? Is he trying to show that he's self sufficient and doesn't need Wade's help? We don't know. Yeah. But we as we hear Jerry talk, we hear more and more things that Jerry's into that he really shouldn't be, and also which end up not working. So the fact That's that he's thing. he's got a guy in his uh, garage or the garage of of the dealership that uh, knows some people that can, you know, get some kidnapping done. <laughs> That's a thing. Yeah, uh, Shep Proudfoot. What a great name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And boy, even that guy, that actor, we don't see much out of Shep. Shep is like closed mouth. He literally says one syllable at a time. And even then, it's you have to drag it out of him. But when Shep opens up, he goes looking for Jerry at one point. Oh, and boy. the absolute brutality in that performance He's is amazing. He's terrifying. He is. And also, I got to say, William H. Macy again, he is squealing like a child. Like his his performance that, there. That was is Steve Buscemi. Just, I'm, I'm sorry, Steve Buscemi. Yeah. It's just frightening. Oh, yeah. You know? Uh, Steve Buscemi. Let's bring up Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi just, again, talk about the perfect guy for this part. Yeah. I mean, him and Peter Stormare, who, you know, what is it, uh, Carl and Grimsrud? Oh, no, it's, it's, yeah, his name is Ger, Ger, Ger Grimsrud. Yeah, he's actually Swedish. Peter Stormare like not is. Of Swedish, he's not Swedish descent. He's from Sweden. Oh, because he, he plays a lot of Russians. And he can well, make he, his accent just disappear completely. Yeah, well, of course, he had 15 lines, so that's well, it. No, I'm just um, thinking of like when he was in Constantine playing the devil. Ah, okay. And he just yeah, sounds Tyler like... Yeah, Tyler asked about that, yeah. yeah. Sorry, that I don't know why I said that, since nobody here knows who Tyler is, unless you listen to our special episode. Yeah, 
Um, he apparently is a really nice guy. He's like, his apparently his his personality is nothing like this character. And when he was not being filmed, he would go to different cities in Minnesota that were named that were Swedish towns that were named after Swedish towns because he just wanted to see what it was like. There are a lot of Swedes in Minnesota. Minnesota is best known for what they call the Scandahuvians. Just yeah. every you know, Swedes, Norwegians, Danes, some Finns, yeah. uh, a lot of Germans too. This just basically the whole place yeah. is very Teutonic. Yeah, yeah, very, 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 very white, like very, the snow. Very and yeah, white. let's get this out of the way. Film is whiter than whiter than white. Now, Max, do you think that that is a proper representation of Minneapolis in the nineteen nineties? Yes, it was. Okay, it was so, very. It was a, the the state was ninety percent white. Yeah, you understand. I know. I know what the demo. I know the demographics back then, and yeah. uh, the ten percent were all down in the Twin Cities. There just weren't that many. When uh, I was at the U of M, and there would maybe, maybe every time one black person in the class, and you could always tell the kids who were from up north, up north in the Iron Ranges, because they would stare at the kid, not hostily. It's just they had never seen a black person. Yeah. Um, something I did not know too for, for trivia buffs out there apparently 60% of the state's population is in the Twin Cities 60% which is I believe it a lot because yeah. let's face it once you go above a certain parallel there's not much there <laughs> oh it's very pretty if you get up far yeah. if you get up north up north around Duluth you're supposed to drop the last H for some reason uh, and in the Iron Ranges uh, you're near the Great Lakes and it's yeah. just gorgeous but you know it's not that interesting. Yeah. Well, if you're an outdoorsman, which most people are, because um, I love that scene where it's like, oh, she get Marge gets night crawlers for her oh, husband. That's and so like, I thought you're going out ice fishing. Oh yeah, after lunch. That was so <laughs> cute. She wants to make sure she gets him his night crawlers. I'm going a little off yeah. here, but dear gods, Norm is such a sweetheart. What a nice guy. Oh, he is, but he and he's pure Minnesota. The way they he nailed that because you notice he never smiles. Nope. And he's not gushy. No. His wife has to get up at like four or five in the morning or whatever time, and he obviously wants to sleep. But he's like, "I'll make you some eggs." Oh no, honey! No, you, no, you you go back to you sleep. Go back to sleep. No, you got to have some breakfast. He just that's it. You you know, you're carrying my child. He never says any of this again. Very Minnesotan, no. but you can tell because he does project it the way they do. You're pregnant. You need to have breakfast. I'm gonna make you some eggs, and he makes her breakfast. By God. And, and of course, the best part is she's been woken up because, of, oh, you know, there's a triple homicide. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay, that's real bad. It is uh, I'll be, very I'll be right hard out. to visibly surprise a Minnesotan. <laughs> when, if aliens landed at Hubert Humphrey Airport, they'd just be standing there in the terminal going, oh, I suppose that'll happen then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't think from, I think they're from out of town. Yeah. Know, so yeah. What do, you, what do you think? Maybe Wisconsin might have been Wisconsin. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, um, but it, apparently, those two, Francis McDermott, and I'm afraid I didn't write down the actor's name who plays Norm, um, decided they needed to come up with a backstory for their character. So, this is something that is barely touched on, but it is there. Apparently, they met because they were both cops. Oh. And what eventually happened was they decided only one of them should be in the department because of you know the possible danger right. etc and marge was the better choice so and that's the the thing I, this character marge oh my god i love this character oh she's great but marge basically stayed on became the chief of the police and norm is a stay-at-home husband who we know will eventually be the stay-at-home father and he's a painter yeah and he's very accomplished of painting wildlife and he gets one of his paintings is up for a stamp and he gets it yeah um, that is one of the ironic things of this movie is in the final scene when we find out about this that i mean what have they what have you guys done this week well let's see marge solved a quintuple homicide kidnapping fake ransom case yeah. pretty much by herself Yep, and you got a painting on a three cent stamp, <laughs> and yet there is no sense that there's any resentment on either side. She seems really proud of him. Well, she says so, but it's, it's so, like it's so sweet. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. It's so sweet. It's like ah, oh, you know, nobody uses the three cent stamps. You're like, what are you talking about? Whenever they raise the price of stamps, everyone needs those three cent stamps because they got a whole bunch of the other ones. Which is a good point, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the character of Marge, there are so many ways. For one thing, she's a police chief. So that right off the bat, that's awesome. Yeah. Second, 
She's seven months pregnant, <laughs> and nobody ever tells her she can't do her job. Yeah, no one ever. ever no one ever even hints. Maybe you shouldn't be out here. I mean, no. when she's examining the dead bodies, the deputy oh, who is obviously think I'm gonna barf. Yep. Yeah. Oh, gonna barf. No, it's just morning <laughs> sickness. Okay. Yeah. Now it's gone. Now I'm hungry again. <laughs> yeah. And. The deputy so she, won't there's come that. Near. She's incredibly the... strong. She's inc- and the thing is, she's also smart. Yeah, she gets to the scene of this triple ho- homicide yeah. in the snow, and she, she figures says, oh, it here's out. some footprints. Yeah, right then and there, and it's not. It's not even like you're. Oh, she's no Sherlock Holmes. She's sitting there. Oh, there's some big feet here. So he went. Looks like they were chasing, and he came after him. Yep. And then she goes. Oh, there's another one. Here's the little one. I think the little one probably had the body, and he just sat in the then the, the the She's not like Sherlock Holmes. Like, aha, you idiots! You've missed all these unbelievable fine details she's just being a really good cop she's like looks at yeah. things says, and she figures out the sequence of, of events bang right and her there. her deputy there's like oh yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah you can tell <laughs> I, his job is to hold the coffee yeah and he's good at it well so we'll, we'll give him that yeah, yeah um but she's such a great character there's something i was reading about too there was a scene that in every other film that involved a pregnant woman would have happened, but not this film. And it's the, oh, my water broke yeah, scene. Yeah, And they don't do it. Mm, you do, and you... one of the things that works exceedingly well, and it's not only just because of Frances McDermott's um, performance, but the way the character's written, is at the end of the film, she's literally, oh, I'm going to go check out the lake. And she's just driving around looking to see if she can find anything out. And it's the scene where one of the kidnappers has killed the other one and is putting him in a wood chipper. Yep. And this guy, this is, what's his name again? The, the Swede? Uh, Gr- uh, Grimsrud. Okay. Grimsrud. This guy has said literally 15 words the whole film, but you can see him seething slowly and then more and more quickly until finally he can't take Steve Buscemi anymore. And let's face it, if Steve Buscemi was like that in real life, I think he would probably have uh, been he was, dead in about He was so good at making Carl just it's like he's not evil he's just colossally irritating and you almost you know you almost understand grimsrud saying that's it i'm gonna hit you with an axe (laughs) yeah but so we know that and this is the guy who did the triple homicide out of nowhere yeah they get pulled over so they they have the kidnapped woman the, the wife in the back seat they have the car that Jerry gave them, but it doesn't have plates on it and they didn't put the the paper temporary plates in so they get pulled over by a statey and uh, Carl's like, I'll take care of this, I'll take care of this, I'll take care of this. And he tries to do this stupid thing where he's handing over his license in his wallet with a 50 sticking out. It's like, okay. And this obviously isn't going to go over well. So without any kind of preamble at all, his buddy there gets out of the car and actually didn't get no, out of the car. He, just he pulls leans the over arm of the, the stadium and, the and shoots him in the head over Carl. Yeah. And then... These poor two people are driving down this road, which I, you can tell is about 20 miles long, utterly straight, and there is nothing on it at all, because you can see the headlights coming. And they sit there and wait, and as they get closer, Carl's trying to drag the body out of sight, and he's not in time, and they slow down and look, and it's like, you can see, they don't say it, but you can see the look on the guy's faces. Oh, geez. Yeah, we just and, see, we just saw something we really oughtn't have seen. And they yeah, take and off, so they and drive Grimswood off. goes after them, but he's so and, calm about it. Yeah, it's yeah. just like yeah. yeah so so at, well, at the end of the film, we've got that guy putting his buddy in the wood chipper, and Marge is like, "Oh, I see the car. It's a Tansiera, Tansiera," and, and she, she doesn't wait for backup. No, she calls it in. Oh yeah, we'll send you a couple cars. But she goes out there, and there's this seven-month pregnant police chief holding a gun on the guy, and you're just like, oh, dear gods, this is not going to go well. This is going to be so tense and and horrible and whatever. And it is not the scene you... I won't tell you exactly what happens if you haven't seen it, but it is not the scene that you expect, and it works so well. Even little things, when she's approaching the house, if you watch her walk, it's like, she knows... I'm like, yeah, she's been in... This is someone who knows exactly how to walk on snow. She is not going to fall. Believe me. it is a hard thing to learn. And yeah. well, it's got that crust on it. Ugh. And there is but nothing funnier to Minnesotans than an out-of-towner who can't do it and, and falls on his ass. <laughs> My Not that, that I would know. <laughs> I think you're lying, uh, Grandpa. So many times. Oh, I fell so many um, times. So there's there's a few scenes in this film that are exceedingly tense, and yes. this is one of them. 
Uh, there's another one where um, Proudfoot shows up, mm-hmm. and it's just like suddenly things go from, uh, oh, there's Carl trying to have sex with this real, real nice <laughs> prostitute. Oh, this one wasn't as nice. Uh, and she Proudfoot- was just more bored. Well, she's like, oh, there, here you going. Yep, yep, there, oh, you're getting close there. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just so businesslike. But just, like, there's, and and I do want to talk about, I know we're talking about the actor. So, obviously, Steve Buscemi is, is amazing. Um, William H. Macy is amazing. Frank, I, the cast is great, down to every last yeah, part. The bit players, I love the yep. scene where she's interviewing the prostitutes in the bar. Because she doesn't once try to arrest them or anything. She knows they're prostitutes. It's like, so you're having sex with them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just... they're and I love the way and they're not the only ones to do this, but yeah, one of them, little guy, he was kind of funny looking. Oh yeah? Funny looking how? Just funny looking. Like, <laughs> and she's trying to it, it was he like real you know, what about him? You know, what about him was funny looking? Like, no, he was just funny looking. I mean more so than yeah. other people. <laughs> It's like, oh, and you can just see Marge, again, the infinite patience, but just, oh, God, you two are idiots. And I am am very sorry, but there is a Minnesota in-joke there where they're asking, you know, know, did you go to school? And she says, oh, yeah, I did a a year and a half at Normandale. Normandale Community College is America's safety school. It is, is it the high school it, after high it, school? It is at now. This was twenty years ago, so maybe it has changed. It can happen, but it was not the most impressive academic institution. But go Bears! Oh no, that was White. La- that was uh, White Lake High School, White, oh, Be- White Bear Lake High School. Yep, go Bears! <laughs> yeah, which is good because you know Minneapolis, it, the University of Minnesota. Their their mascot is the Gopher. Yeah, their teams are the Gophers. <laughs> this is in a part of the country where the other teams are Timberwolves and Wolverines, Grizzlies, and Gophers. <laughs> Who would you bet on in a fight? Ugh, this is so clearly a team name chosen by farmers. Like We need something that d- does enormous amounts of destruction and is really hard <laughs> to get rid of. And, oh, I know, Gophers. <laughs> sorry sorry that for over 10 years that bugged me yeah well so here's something i want to talk about which we're, we're kind of getting to because you know the cast great cast so there is something that we've talked about in other films that we usually rag on and it just does not work and that's a shifting tone and this film is really both ends of the spectrum yeah. right because everything. in some way yeah, and in some parts of this, like it, sometimes it does get shelved under comedy. I wouldn't put it under comedy, although parts of them of this film oh. are really hilarious. Absolutely, but it's also got these horrible scenes of violence. It's very Con um, Brothers. So why does that work here? Because I think it does. I mm-hmm. think that that those two things, for some reason, oil and water. Maybe we shook it up just right and make salad dressing. I, well, we didn't. They did. But why does it work so well here and not there? Do, do you have any insight at that? The only thing I can figure is this is one of the reasons the Cone brothers are as successful as they are. They know the balance, and they know how to shift the, from one tone to another. It's not jarring. They move into it carefully. There's usually, yeah. they go from the comedy to like scenes of violence. There's a buildup of tension. It's what you're supposed to use comedy for is the release. It's a comic relief, literally. And they're very yeah. good at that. They hit you with terrible things, and then they hit you with the mundane, with the calm, and with the funny. Mm. I mean, there is a sequence in this movie, I still am not sure why it's here, and that is Marge and Mike. And I, I found out why, but go ahead. At one point, out of nowhere, Marge gets a call from some guy she went to high school with 20 years ago, or however long, and it's very clear from the phone call she barely remembers who he is, but she does know who he is. And they get together for lunch, and he's very clearly trying, after a while, you realize he's trying to hit on her. It doesn't take that long. Oh, I'm going to sit over here. Why didn't you sit back over there? That was, that's, oh, yeah. And then... You know, this whole, this whole subplot, it takes three scenes, two of which are on the phone. Because right. later she finds out, because the guy is telling her this sob story of how he was married to this girl they knew in high school, and she died of leukemia. 
And then she finds out, A, the woman did, is still alive, and B, they never got married, and C, he's never been married, and he lives with his parents. And so that the, is the last we hear of it. The reason that scene was in there, yeah. and it didn't bother me. I actually was, a re- when I was doing no, research for the works. trivia, that's I saw that people thought part. it was... I'm sorry? It's, that's what's so weird. It works. It does work. And I, I have to admit, and I'm sure this was done on purpose, part of the humor of that scene is specifically because Mike is Asian. And you're seeing an Asian person with that accent. It's like Cho Chang in Harry Potter yeah. when it's a guy with she a Japanese, suddenly has that Japanese last name, and he's talking talking just like everyone else in the movie with the heavy Minnesota accent. Uh, and I'm sure they did that on purpose. Like I'm sure that I, that'll get to another one of my points. But first, I, I and I didn't think of this scene as superfluous. It didn't bother me. I actually thought it was funny and awkward and just really helped illustrate the way people I, I assume are in Minnesota. But turns out there was a very good reason for that scene because being the type of person she is marge generally takes people at their word and so she took mike at his word and after that scene where she's on the phone with her friend who says oh yeah she they never got married no 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 and she's still alive you should give her a call (laughs) um she's like you know that jerry lundegaard i took him at his word i wonder if i should have done that he seemed a little squirrely and that's what causes her to go back and talk to jerry interesting all right so yeah, I, it didn't occur to me either, but there you go, and and, and I found that that was why it was there. I li- um, I like that he- scene because it illustrates a how that Marge is fundamentally a kind person, mm-hmm. but b she takes no crap in a very nope. calm Minnesota way. Because when he tries to sit next to her, she's like, "No, I'd rather you sit over there," and that that's yeah. it. And mm-hmm. he does it because there is you, there's something in the tone. She sounds like everybody's mom when she says that. <laughs> and there's just something in the tone you don't argue with. And no. again, she is never out of control. She no. is always in charge of wherever she is, quietly, not dominating. But there is no question who is the boss. Yeah. And again, when she and- goes and interviews Lundegaard, and you can see she's looking at him going, yeah, he, this fella's not being straight with me. No. And the first time she sort of blows it off like, well, maybe he's just under pressure. But when she's been with Mike Yamagita, she's like, you know, hmm, he was kind of weird. And that Jerry Thundergaard, I should go talk to him. And of course, it's just too obvious. It's like, oh, there was a brand new Oldsmobile Tan Sierra that was used by the kidnappers. And hey, here's a dealership. And the guy that the kidnappers called works here. Why wouldn't the car have come here from here? But there you go. And Jerry proves his his inadequacy once again because when she tries to corner him and he says, I'll go out and count the cars. I'm cooperating with you. Uh, he basically just gets in the car and leaves. And she sees him. He's like, oh, he's leaving. <laughs> and she's just like, oh, son of a gun. That's her. She's she, so great. She is just like, she's not furious. She's not even shocked. It's like, oh, just like she, what seems to bother her is how rude he's being. <laughs> and again, she's yeah. ne- she's very, in some ways, non-confrontational. I, I like how when uh, the deputy is trying to figure out like how this one person died, and she just says, "Not sure I agree with your police work there." <laughs> yeah. And again, he immediately, again, telling how obviously everyone in the force respects. She's like, "Oh yeah, whoa." <laughs> and he ex- she explains, and he she goes, oh, and he just is like, "Oh yeah, okay." Oh, you hear a lot of oh yeah in this movie all over the place. And oh, the other, I'm sorry, it's such a Minnesota moment. She tells him a joke and he doesn't laugh. He just goes, yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) Yeah, that is, that is absolutely on target. Uh, this character, she's actually in, uh, I forget which list, you know, who made up the list, but it's top 100 heroes and villains. She's in there. I I believe it. Um, and she's just amazing. Uh, I didn't know her before this. She'd actually been mostly known for TV. Um, she was in Raising Arizona, an earlier one of our episodes. Yeah, but a small part. Very small. Uh, m- other films like Mississippi Burning. I don't remember her at all in Dark Man, but apparently she was. Oh, I don't remember uh, that Films either. like Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink. You may notice a trend here. Yeah. Yes, those are all Coen Brothers films. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so she, I think they met on the set of either Blood Simple or Miller's Crossing. Yeah. I think it's Blood Simple, 1984. Well, that, that was their first soon one. soon got married. 
Yeah, that's when they soon got married. But Coen Brothers are known for thil- films like Raising Arizona, Mill- Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink, Hudsucker Proxy, Big Lebowski, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, True Grit, and tons more. Oh, Apparently, yeah. their current project, and I'm a very mixed feelings about this, is this going to be a Coen Brothers version of Macbeth? Oh, dear. Really? And Frances McDermott is going to play Lady Macbeth. Okay, she could probably now, do that. Well, here, I, I am of two minds about this because I really, most of the Coen's Brothers films I've seen, I've really liked. Um, True Grit, a film I don't like in general because I don't like westerns, and I'm not a big fan of, uh, what's his name? Um, Jeff, Jeff Daniel? No. Uh, yeah, the dude. Who, play, who played the dude, yeah. Yep. Uh, I actually thought that that film, they had a really quirky take on it and found it enjoyable. Yeah, I thought it was well done. Um, oh, Oh, Hollywood, I was not a big fan of. Oh, I wanted to like it. Oh, but... Holly? oh you mean Hail Caesar? Hail Caesar. Oh, I like that. So, <laughs> it was okay. I don't think it was one of their best. It wasn't films. great. It wasn't spectacular, but I thought it was a lot of fun. And it just, I love, I love movies about old Hollywood that make it a little cartoonish. But American versions of Shakespeare tend not to be very good. Well, it depends who does it and how they do it. I actually, there's a teen comedy called 10 Things I Hate About You. Which is kind of a version of Taming of the Shrew. And it's kind of cute. Yeah. I just remember initially liking, although he's not American, initially liking the Baz Luhrmann version of... Um, Romeo and Juliet. Uh, Romeo and Juliet. And then watching the Zeffirelli one, it's like, oh, right. The American actors didn't know what they were saying. That's the problem. Okay. So I don't know. Yeah, well, we'll, I'll, we'll I'll see, see it. I'll because it. I've actually never... I've never seen Macbeth. Um so I'll see it, and I think it's a really interesting mix because the Coens, at the very least, the Coens don't make crap. They may not make good films. I should say they don't may may not make films I always like, but I think their films are always at least interesting. They always have quality to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we've talked a lot about the Minnesotans, and Max, I, I can use these for this because you've been there, and I don't want to get too again too far into just Minnesota, not the movie, but. Even though the Coens are from Minneapolis, do you think they were overplaying things? Do you think things are, are into the caricature without being really truthful? They It just skates the edge. Because the thing is, not everybody in Minnesota has that Scandahoovian accent. Right. And it's probably actually decreasing. It um, probably is. is. They, they've had a lot of, uh, you know, they've... Minnesota has now the, I think, fourth largest Hmong Vietnamese population in the country. They had a massive uh, load of uh, refugees from, I believe it was Somalia. Okay. So the ethnic makeup has changed a lot, especially in the Twin Cities. But I am pretty sure that by now you have Hmong Vietnamese who are working at Old Country Buffet (laughs) going, okay, sure, you want some of the roast beef? It's real good tonight. I always feel it, so sorry for for people who come from tropical climes and end up in places like I Minnesota. I don't understand what why I say. You know, let's see, we got people from Vietnam. Let's see, that's a that's a hot, steamy climate. Uh, jung, a lot of jungle. Let's put them in a tundra. Uh, yeah, it just seems mean. <laughs> and the people from Somalia is like, ah, we have died, and this is hell. Yeah, I I, I don't. Know. I, apparently, they like it, but I. I don't. The fact that they can adjust to it, you know, well done. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm from New England, and I had enormous trouble adjusting to the weather in Minnesota. I'm from New England, and I lived a year in Southern Florida, and I I still haven't gotten over it. One year, that's it, and my thermostat's been broken ever since. Now I hate summer, um, but whatever. I, yeah. So yeah, uh, no, I think uh, a little of it. It's a little exaggerated, but so much of that movie just makes me go oh right <laughs> things like i when uh larry is saying hi to even saying hi to his father-in-law like, how you doing wade yeah pretty good oh god <laughs> yeah pretty good that's what you hear that's what i heard that so many times and a lot of the oh yeah a lot of those a lot of those and yes going out to old country buffet is that's an occasion well, see, I'd never even heard of it till I moved to Michigan because we initially we didn't have it in the Boston area. It was like, what's that? And uh, my partner wouldn't take me. He's like, we're not going there. 
<laughs> and it's like, why not? It's like, it's trough dining. It's like, what? It's like, it's, that's what they call it, trough dining, where it's like people oh, just that's, line that's up. that's a little mean. It, mm, <laughs> and he said, the fr- so a couple of his friends, a couple of friends of ours actually took me once. Tyler won't take you, we'll take you to Old Country Buffet. So it's like, I just want to go once to see what it's like. In a way, it is the quietest restaurant I've ever been to because nobody talks. All you hear are forks. <laughs> Yeah, the idea in a, usually in an old country buffet is get in, eat as much as you can, and get out. It's cheap. The food is plentiful. The flu- food is edible, but uh, it, it's not fine dining. No. Did you notice the, the, the one thing that she passed over in the in the buffet? I saw she skipped one dish, and she obviously did that intentionally. I didn't see which one it was. Lutefisk. <laughs> oh, oh, yuck! It's like jellied cod or something. It, right? it, it is cod. That has been soaked in lye. That's right. You know, the stuff the mafia used to kill people with. Lye. The <laughs> stuff they used to make soap out of. Yeah. Yeah, it turns the stuff into this gelatinous, tasteless... Oh, Lord. It's real, and real good. Beautifisk, <laughs> and the other one they mentioned before is Let- Lefse. Lefse, Lefse yeah. which is Yeah, which is harmless. It's basically... Well, it's like uncooked dough, <laughs> just sprinkle <laughs> powdered sugar on. No, it's it's a very it's kind of a thin flat bread that is as long as you put other stuff on it, it's fine. Otherwise, it is just neutral taste. There is one. There's another moment in the movie that is so perfectly Minnesotan, and it's just a throwaway. It's a brief scene with with uh, Officer Olson, who's interviewing uh, a bartender, I think from the Blue Ox, mm. and. They're just standing there on the street, and they've got their big coats on, and the hoods are zipped up so that it looks like they're talking out of periscopes. Yeah, the snorkel. And you know, at the end, one of them turns this. Looks like she's going to turn cold tomorrow. Both of them, and I, when I saw this this moment, it gave me chills because I had never noticed this happened, but it happened all the time in Minnesota. Say, so, looks like she's going to turn cold. Both of them turn away from each other and look at the sky. They don't look in the same direction. They, I don't know why. They turn away and look up at the same time at exactly the same angle. Because the weather in Minnesota is a big deal. <laughs> if you are going to say, yeah, you think it's going to be cold tomorrow? Ooh, you, you know, that's not just something you go, oh, probably. You give that serious thought. Well... The wind's coming in off the off the lakes, you know, and uh, we got some high pressure coming up. Uh, and it's not, you can make jokes, oh, there's nothing else to talk about but the weather. No, it's because in the winter in Minnesota, the weather can murder you. <laughs> it can. People every year, someone is fr- freezes to death. A, a woman, I remember, froze to death in her car while I was there. She was 300 feet from a house but couldn't see it because it was whiteout. Speaking of, of the whiteout yeah. and the fact that a lot of the snow was fake, although some not all of it, uh, I want to point out some of the cinematography. Um, they did some great location scouting, and that one road where the triple homicide happens, oh, it's a real shame. Um, it's just, I do know a road like that in the UP, which for those who don't know is the Upper Peninsula in Michigan. It's called the Sceny Stretch. It is literally 26 miles of utterly straight flat road. Yeah. That's it. There's nothing. It's just straight. around the Twin Cities and you don't get that, but up up north or any, as soon as you get about 5 or 10 miles out of the Twin Cities area, there are roads like that everywhere. And you've never seen anywhere lonelier. There's a fence there. Like there's a wire fence, so it's obviously there's during warmer warmer days, <clears throat> not months, days. Uh there's obviously sheep or something on the other side of that fence. And Steve Buscemi's character Carl when he finds out that the ransom's not $80,000 like he thought, but a million, he's like, well, the hell with that. I'm going to keep most of this myself. He stops on the side of the road at this road and buries the case in the snow. And he, when he's finished burying, he looks up to try and find a landmark and realizes there's nothing. Yeah, he would nothing. never find that money again. So he takes his ice scraper, which is, you know, the size of his hand, and plants it like a gravestone yeah. on top of the snow. <laughs> That'll last like, about a day. Yeah, because like it's not going to snow again or something. Yeah. And but like there's just these scenes, and there's also like the opening of the film is this whiteout condition on a road, and this these cars slowly coming through, it and you just slowly make them out. There's some just great scenes to let you know exactly how freaking cold and un- unhappy it is. But there's also one particular shot. It's a very quick shot 
And it's after Marge has been woken up to go deal with the triple homicide. Oh, it's real shame. Um, and she's leaving. She's been made breakfast by her husband. And there on the left side of the screen is the kitchen table. And Norm's sitting at the table. And it's the lighting is very warm. It's like a you know an old incandescent bulb. Um, the kitchen has a light yellow because we don't want too much color. Not too much, you know. Uh, and the right-hand side, there's literally a wall. It's the wall that separates the kitchen from the door going outside. Um, probably what they would call the mudroom. And outside, it's a window that that shows off to where the cars park, the police car, the prowler. The prowler. And it's all cold. Like, it's it's still early morning. It's gray and blue. And it, Marge crosses over that line. And there's this, this moment where Marge is on the right-hand side of the screen in the cold part. And Norm is in the warm part of the screen eating his eggs that he's made for both of them. And it's just this wonderful contrast. It's so it's it's easy to miss. There's this wonderful contrast of Norm being the warm side, the homey side, the safe side, and her going off into danger. And it's just done with color. And of course, that scene looks like it's like, why didn't they cut? Because she goes out there and she comes back in 10 seconds. I'm gonna need a jump for the prowler. Yeah, yep. And <laughs> I, when they saw that, it just came running back rushing back to me, and I find myself going. Well, that's why you need your block heater on the car, eh? That's what you should have had there, or you wouldn't have that problem now. Yeah. Because, yeah, the, but just, it gets so cold that the batteries die. Yeah. And this is one of those differences. It may have been a warm, of course, they say one of the warmest winters in Minnesota. <laughs> oh, you know, it got near 20. Yeah. Yeah, that's, <laughs> but, that's shorts weather for Minnesotans. This is what happens when you film in real snow. And why it makes a difference. Because people look freaking cold. It looks dreary. Even that one scene where they're talking about it being cold and he zips up his coat. And you can see that snow has melted. It's above 32. So we know it's not that cold. It's still dreary and just unpleasant and nasty. And it's 100% worth it to do that if you can than to just make snow or potato flakes or whatever. It, it matters. And we feel cold. We feel why people are so insular both just not going out as much as they could. But also maybe that's why there's not so much emotion because everyone's just kept to themselves. To I don't a, know. But. To a degree. It's also a certain culture from the Scandinavians. The Scandinavians right. are known to be, um, I don't know how you would put it, Not not they're not cold. They're just... Reserved. They are very reserved and uh, they're, they're very dignified. Yeah. Although you sit there wonder about some of the characters. Like, Jerry is, like, the great central point of the movie. Because on one hand, you've got Marge, who is never going to do more than smile. Uh, I don't... I'm, I'm not sure she cries. <laughs> um, Maybe and then one you've tear. Got, and then you've got uh, Steve Buscemi's character, who's just kind of nuts through the whole film. Yeah. In the middle, you've got Jerry, who's kind of doing both. <laughs> Because he's like, well, you know, uh, that true coat's a real great, great, great thing. And then he goes into his office and he's like about to lose it. Yeah, and then so he goes back out. And that's the other thing with Jerry. You also get the feeling he's just not a good salesman. He's not I, good at anything. The first thing we see is he's basically trying to cheat a couple of uh, customers by adding one of those things like undercoating. Yeah. And so, although I do have to say in Minnesota, rust proofing matters because yeah. they... They use an ocean's worth of salt on the roads. But, yeah. yeah, he's just, again, he's both pitiful and unlikable. Yeah. The way he just, and, he ignores, you know, his son. You see, how can yeah. he do this? When he runs, he just leaves his kid. They never, yeah. never says Scotty. anything about it. But, yeah, poor old, poor little Scotty. He loses his mom. His dad tried to get his, his mom kidnapped, and he loses his grandfather. Meanwhile, he plays accordion and listens to Whitesnake. <laughs> but he does want to play hockey. Yeah, boy, you yeah, gotta yeah. play hockey. Yeah. Uh, the other thing too is just you know Jerry. You wonder how did he look into? Because obviously Wade owns a lot of money because he can come up with a million dollars in cash. Yeah. So overnight, it, it's not just he owns a, a dealership. Wade owns a lot of things, but there's a, and you don't see much of her. We don't see a lot of Jean, mm -hmm. but what we do see of her, my feeling is that while Jean is is the daughter of a very wealthy man. Jean's a little, she's kind of loopy. She seems nice, but uh, there's also just a sense, you get the sense she's always been taken care of. And yeah. And she, she just expects it now. And, but she but, seems like it, she's a little disheveled all the time. She Like her hair's not really combed, and her bathrobe looks kind of tatty. And I just, it's very, very subtle, but I get the impression that Jean's not, she's like maybe 90% there. Oh. Huh. 
I didn't pick that up, but maybe. Maybe that's why she had she married Jerry, who clearly her father doesn't like. Oh yeah. God, and he never and the fact that he never he does not even try to hide it a little. No. When he's talking about when she's trying to get money Jerry's trying to get money from him and he's saying, Oh, this is for, for Gene and Scotty and he just goes, Gene and Scotty never have to worry. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So, you do, yeah. but yeah. yeah, lots more. But yeah, we're getting to that point because mm. uh People are now really, really like chomping at the bit to figure out if we like the movie or not. So um, I will just add, yep. I will insert a pause. The roundup. Before I ask Max, you saw this when it came out. You may have seen it since. It's been twenty-four years. Does this film hold up? Yeah, it absolutely does. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't know if Minnesota is exactly the same as it was back then, but in my mind, it is. And. Uh, <laughs> And even without that, quite honestly, they could have set this in Dubuque, and I think it still would have worked. Mm. I, I think this movie, I, I like this movie a lot. Uh, I like the Coen brothers also. This is one of my absolute favorites of theirs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, yeah. About, what about you? Same thing. I saw this when it came out. Um, I don't remember why I went to see it. You know, actually, I think I do know why I went to see it. Because you lived in Minnesota. Uh, and you- <laughs> I was like... Because I, you know, the Coen Brothers, I didn't, I didn't see Raising Arizona. I know I didn't. I didn't see it till we did the show. On yeah. Way, way, oh, way, way back. You know, that was one of the early ones. Eh? Way, oh way yeah. Back. Oh yeah. Uh, and I certainly didn't know William H Macy. I didn't know Francis McDermott. I don't even think Steve Buscemi was quite on the radar yet. Mm. And I think that this film did a lot for those three people. Certainly Francis McDermott. Yeah. Because I, I'd really never oh. heard of her. But. If you want a strong woman character that is never played for stereotype, this is the one to go to. She's great. She's, I, it's not even just Francis. I love the character. Character is is wonderful. She just is. She's not what she, never what you expect. No, nope. and, and you want more. You want to know more. You want to see more. Yeah, she's utterly competent. She's smart. She's never snide. I don't think they can do snide. Um, she's nice. <laughs> she is. She's like, Minnesota nice. And and the the relationship with her husband, there's not a lot of it, but what they're there is just so charming. He's not got a problem with her being chief of police. It's never like, oh, honey, you maybe one of your deputies should no, nope. It's just like I'll make you eggs. That's it. Yeah. When they call it's in the a, middle of the night, he never goes, Oh, maybe you should just go back to sleep, let someone else handle it. It's like, nope, I know you're getting up, I'll make you eggs. <laughs> yeah, it's like they're so they're just so nice. <laughs> um, but they're also believable. And I just that scene where she just figures out the whole crime exactly how it happened. I totally buy that, and yep. it's like, well, that's why she's chief. And you know, the people under her obviously really respect her. Um, the fact that we don't do that stupid, oh, my water broke, I got to go yeah. have the baby in the snow. Like we don't do that. Um, ah, just a, a great, great character, Jerry. I don't like him, but he is a great character because he's got. You can see why he's the way he is. Um, Willie H. Macy, of course, will go on to continue to do great roles and some not-so-great roles, but he's a really good actor. He's never bad in his roles, I don't think. Yep, all the supporting um, people, they're terrific. Uh, Steve Buscemi. Yep, it's Peter uh, Stormare, who, who barely says 20 words in the movie, and he's still incredibly menacing and impressive. And I still don't know why Carl ends up with this guy, because obviously Proudfoot doesn't know him. Yeah. And he says as much. He's like, yeah, don't know him. Nope, don't vouch for him. Don't know him. Yeah. And, Proudfoot, like there's a character. There's probably an entire movie in that guy, mm. um, and he is real. He's a terror. Yeah, quiet, he's scary. stoic, until you pass that one thing, and then forget it. And he just one point he's just beaten Steve Buscemi's character with a belt, and it's just like, oh my god, yeah, this he, is worse than some of the stuff in Tarantino's films, just because it's just so cringy. It's so savage and so brutal. Yeah, yeah. No, it's um, it's really and, well done, and he is really good at going from zero to ninety. Yeah. And th- again, this film, these incredibly violent scenes, which don't last long, they don't linger on them like some directors I could talk about. <laughs> um, and they are horrific. But then there are these subtle, subtle, amazing, funny scenes where it's like the screen like has two colors on it, black and white. And the actor's performance is like there's barely a tick of a smile. And I am roaring mm. because it's so freaking funny. Um this is also a favorite film. I don't watch it often, and I haven't seen it many times, but 
I just think from start to finish, it draws you in. Thankfully, it's not that long. It's mm. it's like an hour and thirty nine minutes, something yep. like that. Yeah. Um, even though the pacing, in a way, is very slow, there's no. It real, doesn't feel I mean, like it. No, <laughs> it's like the action sequences, even then, are like uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, bang, uh huh, <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I I this is a film that I would not hesitate recommending. Yeah, one way or the other. It's, it's a, it is a really good film. The Coen brothers, one of their best, too. I agree. But we're done with the 90s. We Be have, gone, 90s scum. Yes. Flee, flee from us, because now we now. move into the next logical step. Okay, no, yeah. not at all. <laughs> but uh, watching Toy Story back in this series made us sort of think about the rise of the Pixar empire and how everything they do is gold. Kneel before Zod! Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, and is it, though? Is it really? So we're now examining the Pixar movies. The Pixar picks, if you will. (laughs) Aha! Edited 15 minutes of unbroken laughter. Um, (laughs) We are going to talk... Yeah, get right to that. Yep, we're going to talk about Pixar movies. And we're going to talk about the ones we love... And the ones we don't really love that much. Because really? even Pixar, it used to be Pixar could do no wrong. Yeah, that didn't, and, that didn't hang around, really. And then a certain film happened, but we will, we'll, we'll, we'll get to we'll that. We'll get there, and possibly a certain event happened. But uh, yeah. We'll, yeah, we'll we'll get to that. We were going to be talking about Pixar. The highs but, but what, and the lows. What's the first... What's the first film? First one we will be leading off with is just a natural progression from the last one. We're going to be talking about Toy Story 2, the one that people argue is the best of the four Toy Story movies, although some people say it's Toy Story 3. We'll talk about that. That's where we're going to start, Toy Story 2. And don't open the box. <laughs> Whatever I, you do, oh, yes. no, don't, yeah, don't open the box. Don't take them out of the box. They won't be vintage. Don't open Made the box. box makes me think of seven, so... But let's let's not do that. <laughs> That's a different Toy Story. Yeah, so when yeah. we get to that Toy Story starring Kevin Spacey, <laughs> uh, you can come back to Max Mike. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.